Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. Telework and return to the office at agencies, that ranked among the defining factors this year for the federal workforce. But a lot more happened. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman joins me now with a review. And Drew, let's start with telework, which really, I don't think, changed that much. There was a lot of pull and tug and tug of war over when people or how much they would come back to work. It seems like it's settled into kind of a three-day-a-week stasis. I mean, what's your view? Yeah, this was a pretty interesting year, Tom, in terms of both conversations and some changes to telework. I think back in April, that's when the Office of Management and Budget memo first came out that called for agencies to increase what they called meaningful in-person work. And that's really where all this conversation kind of stemmed from and where both employees, agencies, Congress continued to have conversations about this throughout the year. After the release of that memo, you saw a lot of first confusion from federal employees. They didn't know what their agencies were going to do in response to the memo, but eventually agencies started releasing these plans one by one of, you know, okay, we're going to return our employees two days per pay period, three days per pay period, whatever it may have been. From there, you saw a lot of those plans start to take place just in this past fall. Some still are going to be ahead in January. So it really just depends on the individual agency and what their decision is going to be to change that. But the Office of Personnel Management is stressed, even if there is a little bit of an increase in the in-office work, hybrid work is going to be pretty standard for federal employees moving forward, those who are eligible for telework in the first place. I think this really shows how much conditions, employee relations, expectations generally in industry have changed in 25 years. There was a time when a company could say, what are you, crazy? Get to the office. You know, That's where you work. No more. Definitely not. And I think that's going to be pretty staying for you know, years, if not decades, younger generations of employees, millennials, Gen Z have pretty much said, you know, this is something that they expect from employers. Again, not every job is eligible for telework or makes sense for remote work. But those that are, I think a lot of people are leaning towards that flexibility. We actually conducted several surveys throughout the year that showed that about two-thirds of employees said that if their agency decided to bring them back to the office more often or entirely, that they would consider leaving their jobs. So there is that kind of feeling, I guess, that employees generally do enjoy the flexibility sure, yeah. um, of well, telework. Yeah, people yeah. always find reasons to say they'd leave their job, but, you know, do they? I don't know. I'm not going to test that one. And then lots of changes to regulations around federal hiring the rule of many? And what are you seeing there? Where's that going to shake out? That was a pretty interesting one this year, and it was a little bit under the radar. The rule of many was a proposed regulation from OPM that basically would change how federal hiring managers would consider finalists for uh, jobs that they have open and give them a little bit more flexibility. So it, it kind of falls in between this outdated rule of three that the government used to have where you could only select from the top three candidates of a hiring list versus what exists now, which is called category rating. Some hiring managers have said that's almost too broad. They get too many finalists to pick from, or they might not get the right people on that final list. So the rule of many is OPM's idea 
to kind of fall in between those two strategies and set a parameter early in the hiring process for either a percentage of candidates or a number of candidates that would be uh, qualified for the position and pick from those. Yeah, so that's taking root then. So right now it's a proposed regulation and it's likely going to be finalized sometime during 2024, but I think generally the consensus is is pretty strong for this one. It's something that, you know, a lot of experts like those at the Partnership for Public Service, for example, have said, okay, you know, this is something that makes sense. It's going to help hiring managers, hopefully, at least that's the goal. And maybe we'll see this take effect or take root sometime within the next year or so. Yeah. So for an applicant then applying to one job, in effect, you're applying to many, many similar jobs. And if there's someone else that could use you other than the place you thought you were applying to originally, you might hear from them. Right. So that would be something called sharing certificates. And that's something that agencies have been focused on a lot as well. This idea of pooled hiring where you put out one job announcement and many agencies can sign on to it and then hire multiple candidates off of that one announcement. A lot of hiring managers have said that is another flexibility that is really beneficial, really speeds things up in the hiring process, something that OPM used a lot for the infrastructure law to try to onboard a lot of people very quickly over the last year or so. Right, because there are some functions, a lot of functions that agencies have in common. I mean, if you apply for a law enforcement job one place, there's probably six other places or acquisition or IT. All of those things are kind of common You know, that's something that, you know, OPM actually just this year launched a new platform called the uh, pooled hiring platform on USA Jobs. And that's a place where agencies now can post all of these shared certificates or shared job openings where maybe they hired a couple IT managers or data scientists. Now they're passing off their list of qualified candidates where other agencies, as you said, looking for the same or similar position can then grab those candidates who are already vetted. It makes the hiring process a little bit easier for those secondary sure. agencies. All right. Come into the pool. The water's great. And then the Pathway Program, that also got an update in the past year. Yeah, that program, it's over 10 years old now. And where OPM was trying to change things, they said that the way that the hiring process and the program operates is quite different from the original regulations and how they were written. So now they're expanding program eligibility for recent graduates by emphasizing skills-based hiring. So maybe you have some technical skills or something that makes you qualified for the program, but not necessarily a degree or an educational background in a certain field. So they're looking for alternatives to try to expand the pools to go into pathways. And then they're also trying to streamline the process to go from being in that pathways program, which only lasts for a couple of years, and convert those program participants into full-time federal employees. So there were actually a lot of technical changes in the language to that pathways program, but I think OPM is kind of hoping that it will broaden the program and paid opportunities as well for early career employees. Yeah, the whole gestalt here is trying to speed up federal hiring without giving up all the merit principles and making sure you get the right people. But there's that perception for many years that it's just too slow. And a lot of this seems to be aimed at getting things done faster. I think that is true. There are a lot of small changes like the Pathways Program, Rule of Many, Um, skills-based hiring, all these things are like smaller ways or little ways to kind of eat away at this federal hiring reform goal that 
OPM has and has had for a long time. So I think you see a lot of agencies, hiring managers, unions, organizations just in support of this stuff, but hoping for even more and more faster to reform that process in the the long run. All right. And Tuesday, it will be the second day of 2024. Everyone will be back at work, either telephonically or in the office. What do we expect from the Office of Personnel Management as their top priorities for 2024? One thing that OPM Director Kieran Ahuja did emphasize recently is an expansion of those pooled hiring actions. I think that's going to be a really big one. They've already said that there's eight pooled hiring actions across government that are planned. In comparison, there were just five this past year. So I think we're going to see a bit of a ramp up in that area. They're also looking to finalize some regulations on protecting federal workers from the possible return of Schedule F. I think that's going to be another really big topic in 2024. We'll just have to see what OPM has planned, but there's going to be a lot of, I believe, finalizing regulations wrapping up next year. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks so much, and we'll be looking forward to your reporting in 2024. Thanks, Tom. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer, at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the the behaviors that we allow and we uh, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences. And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many 
different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies. And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency and I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any 
technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I want to hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, Mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role, 
And over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life, and I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career, and that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank you. Uh, having known you now for seven or eight years, yeah. um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.